This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This to your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. We've got a great guest and a great topic. It's near and dear to my heart, and I'm sure for our listeners out there, you've experienced it too. So I won't uh, give away all the secrets, but we'll definitely tackle them during the show. But our special guest is uh, Kathy Simons, who uh, has written a couple of great books, and we're going to talk uh, a little bit about them and talk about her history with the books and writing the books and uh, the topic in general. So I'm putting a little teaser out there. It's something that, uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of us who love our, uh, our dogs and our cats go through and um, we need to know a little bit more about how to make their lives great so uh, and how this isn't so scary if you uh, help them along the way so there's your little tidbit you can think about what it is but we're going to come back right after these commercial breaks and talk a little bit more to uh, Kathy Simons about her books and the topic at hand you're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Licker Chops, get the third bottle free. New improved Licker Chops with omega-6, omega-3, vitamin E, and now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. And dogs love it. Try Licker Chops. Buy two, get one free. This is Henry Lukasiewicz for Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Uh, this is your host once again, Tim Lincoln. Joining me now is author, and she's also a CVT, CCRP specialist, uh, knows everything there is to know about animals. Uh, our special guest tonight is uh, Kathy Simons. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tim. Thank you very much. Well, we're glad to have you on the show. Now, we're going to talk about the two books that we have, and they're written totally differently. So later in the show, I want to talk about what it was like to write the two different types of books, because we're talking about one topic, which the first book is called Blind Devotion, Enhancing the Lives of Blind and Visually Impaired Dogs. So serious topic, but uh, ways that we can make our lives great with animals that have lost their, their eyesight or losing their eyesight and then we'll talk a little bit about the um the second book which is called watching out for digger which is a uh, children's book but it also has a uh, the same line the same topic but in a little bit more friendly way and how to uh, help our children along when this happens to their dogs so let's talk a little bit about the topic at first tell us about blind devotion working with blind animals how did this come about what's your passion behind it and yeah how'd you come about writing the books well, you know, as a veterinary technician, I, um, I'm always looking for a way to support people with their pets and how can I make their lives easier and how can I make their lives and their journey with their pets easier. And so over the 30 years of being a technician, I've seen hundreds, maybe even thousands of blind or visually impaired dogs. And I can hear myself over and over telling clients, your dog's going to be okay. Your dog's going to be all right. And that's because I truly, I truly believe that until it happened to me. And then I realized, wow, this is a whole area I'm missing where I could be so much more supportive to clients because it was devastating. My dog was seven. He was right in the middle of his prime of his life when he went suddenly blind. And then I was left with so much fear about his quality of life and how I was going to keep him safe and how I was going to help him navigate the world. So 
you know, once I kind of put that baggage down and got rid of my own, like, you know, anxiety, I was like, I'm going to document this. I'm going to document our journey with this dog and see if I can help other people with their journey. If their dogs lose their vision, that's, that's where it sort of started with me documenting what we were doing. Yeah. Well, as a technician, did you early on before this this happened with your dog? Obviously, was it more of uh, your compassion for people, and you were telling them it's going to be okay? Because how do I want to put this? Yes, I'm assuming you're going to say that same thing. If the dog's going blind, you're going to say it's going to be okay. We're going to help you out. But also, if the dog has diabetes or has some other illness, you're saying probably those same terminologies. Yes, Yes. exactly. And and um, again, it's coming from yeah, it's really coming from a place of. I really believe your pet's going to be okay. You know, I think we're going to get through this, but um, I need to find a better way to support these clients and show them really, how are we going to get through this? Because that's my job. I'm your support staff. I'm your dogs or your cats or your birds advocate. So I needed to find a, once this happened to me, I was like, boy, this is something I really, I really should focus on helping these clients a little bit better in their journey and their transition into their new life with their dog or their new things that they're going to have to learn to be, to deal with or to navigate or to help their dog adjust to this. Right. And so with your own dog, how did that come about? Was it a sudden type of situation or had it developed over time and it was going sort of unnoticed just because animals are great at masking uh, what's going on in their lives? Aren't they? They are amazing. Their ability to adapt is incredible. Yeah, he lost his vision over a period of several days to a disease called sudden acquired retinal degeneration syndrome. Mm -hmm. We don't really know a lot about it. We suspect in veterinary medicine that this may very well be an immune mediated or autoimmune disease, but I I don't believe that we really have a great understanding of the disease, but dogs can lose their vision in a as period as quickly as 24 hours or over several days. So it was quite shocking for him as well as it was for us. He just started bumping into stuff. That's how we noticed, you know, he was like, I was like, hey, that's kind of weird, you know, really bump into the table leg or the, the couch, he knows his way around the house. And so some of those subtle, like, I bumped into this, I bumped into that was what led us to the vet, you know, go to the veterinarian and say, hey, something's not right here with our dogs. And we all know our dogs, we know when something is not right, the look on their face, the way they're acting, the way they feel, conveying their emotions to us, we can feel that. Absolutely. And and I totally can empathize with the situation. Uh, We talked briefly off air. I had uh, two schnauzers, brothers from the same litter, purebred schnauzers. And uh, about that same age, about uh, seven years old, Woody uh, developed SARDS, sudden retinal degeneration. His was the the 24-hour kind. There was really no sign, no indication of it at all. He had a plethora of other health issues going on. You know, we had been fighting through Cushing's and he had early, uh, early stages of diabetes and, uh, he was my real muse, my real educator uh, in the work that I do today. But unfortunately, he had to go through all the struggles to teach mm-hmm. me, to let, then allow me to teach, you know, have the voice of the tens of thousands of other people to teach him about this. And uh, this was a, another another episode, you know, uh, with Buzz, he lost about 90% of his eyesight over about a three-year period before he made his transition. But Woody's was overnight, and it was uh, like uh, what you had said and what you had went through, I'm sure, couldn't understand it. 
you know, never experienced that before in our lives. How does that happen overnight? And uh, basically, yeah, one day he could see fine going up and down the stairs, no problem. And the next day he couldn't even find the stairs. So it's a scary proposition. And, you know, as their uh, human companion, their uh, heart connection, we obviously start beating ourselves up over the whole situation. How did you go about uh, getting past that transition of uh, the blame and the guilt and everything that goes along with it to say, okay, hey, wait a minute. This yeah. is something I got to learn about. This is something we have to live with. And here's a real, as you said, a great educational opportunity as well. Absolutely. Right. And I think later, you know, in hindsight, I could see, well, you really shouldn't feel sorry for my dog. Because if you know my dog, you know, he's on the couch and he's covering a blanket and he's, you know, he's got everything he needs. But yeah, the, the guilt was tremendous. How did I not, how did I not know this? How could I have prevented this from happening to him? I even got felt so guilty just to think, well, maybe if he even had a different owner, maybe this wouldn't happen to him. And of course, you know, when you sit down and think about it, you know, from a medical perspective, I couldn't prevent it. It's a disease we don't understand. Unfortunately, it does run a little bit higher. And I had a pug and it does run a little bit higher in that breed. And once I realized this wasn't, it wasn't a fault of mine, it was a medical condition that happened that I could not prevent and I couldn't stop. And once I kind of got over that anxiety, I was like, okay, now we're, we're, we're you got to put that down, put your human emotion down and start going, put your baggage down and go, okay, how can you help your dog? And that became the most important thing, the foremost important thing. How can I help my dog not only get back his life, but his love of life? Because he was a sassy, sassy guy. <laughs> and I wanted him to have his that spark and that love of life again. So that was what drove me. I need to get him back to that sassy little, bossy little, you know, pug that he <laughs> that he'd always been, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, because they go through the same emotions we do. You know, this is a, uh, so. those, you know, as I mentioned, it's, uh, they, they're great at masking whenever there's a, a health issue going Going on, they try their best to solve it themselves and mm-hmm. and mask those uh, challenges. But you know, when you're talking about something, especially like SARDs, uh, which is a no, virtually overnight or over several day period, they have a lot of questions themselves. And how do they gain back their independence? And how do they continue on being, you know, like you said, the sassy, spunky yeah. uh, little one they were were before all this happened? Yeah, exactly. And I think I think you're right. I think he also. He didn't necessarily want me to help him. I think, you know, he, you're right. I think he had a lot of emotion around it as well. He wanted to be independent. He wanted to continue to do those things. And yet he was frightened, you know, at the same time. Right, right. When your book, uh, uh, Blind Devotion, uh, Enhancing the Lives of the Blind and Visually Impaired for Dogs, do a great job. A lot of great resources in here. You you know, you're talking about your own experiences as well as some of the things that once this happens, uh, how can you make your the dog's life easier and allow them to have that great same quality of life? What are some of the things just, uh, you don't have to go into every single one, but what are some of the first things that you did for some of the first things that you put into place that would make it a safe environment, but also a a fun and, uh, and challenging and challenging right the first thing i did for our dog our first dog that went blind is um i tried to make things as predictable and routine as possible for him we went out the same time every day he had breakfast the same time every day and he became to rely on that and it made him feel more comfortable that he could predict with certainty the same thing was going to happen every day. So the predictability, I think, for him was key. And then we started expanding some of those things, you know, so to get him used to walking through the house without bumping into stuff, I would walk him on leash so that we could find sort of reference points in the home. So I'd walk him from his leash to his food bowl and from his food bowl to the back door. And then I would do it again the next day until he got that mapped out. And it really didn't take him very long before he had that mapped out. Now, just giving him that 
boy, just giving him that little bit of confidence really was tremendous just to, for him to understand that he could solve a problem or solve some of his own problems was such a confidence booster for him. Once I saw that he was starting to have this confidence, then I was like, oh, it's on. We're going to start challenging a little bit more, taking him outside, maybe taking him for walks where he was comfortable. But maybe that day we went a little block further, teaching people in the neighborhood how to approach him without frightening him. But he loved to be greeted, but he didn't want to be startled. So I could educate people outside of, you know, the home, how to how to approach him, how to approach a blind dog and, and let him, you know, make that first move. So once that started happening, he was ready for more training and more fun, honestly, <laughs> at that point. He was like, all right, I think I'd like to have a little bit more fun. So I started challenging him with marking places in the home with scent to see if he could track himself to that, track the source of that scent. So I'd mark the food bowl with a little bit of vanilla oil mark the kennel with a little lavender oil and see if he could, you know, find that source back. And he really enjoyed that process. And then we turned it into a game, a find it game. Can you find this? Can you find that? Can you find me? And boy, those just again, those little things that build confidence in the problem solving was was tremendous for him, a confidence booster. Yeah, and I, and I think it's the key, you know, you want to get, from a safety standpoint, you want to put things into place to make sure that there's no harm going to happen. Yeah. So you, you have to be, for us, I know that we put the uh, baby gates in front of every oh, stairway yeah. yep, and yep. every exit point. And uh, we went with the metal ones with the little kick foot plate. So it made it nice and easy. You press down the foot plate, the yeah. door swings open and closes. As a matter of fact, even today, uh, Woody passed away in uh, 2009, uh, 2007, uh, Buzz passed away in 2009. But in any case, we still use them today, even though our two other newer schnauzers, our, our recent schnauzers, right. <laughs> uh, we just gotten so accustomed to having them in all the main doors and all the main stairways that it, it's just commonplace now. But yeah, you, you protect those, you pick your shoes up, you don't move any furniture around uh, or change the furniture around, you keep everything the, the same. They will have the sense and the smell and all all the hearing will, will still be in place, so they'll be able to pick up on all that. And even for us, the only only challenge we ever had, uh, there's a couple episodes I do remember. One was uh, we had a, a back door that led to our, our big fenced-in backyard, and he could handle that no problem. He could yeah. go out the door, go down the stairs, run to the backyard, no problem at all. We did when he come back in the house. We had a nice little black line of nose prints around that entry. <laughs> <laughs> he, he never yeah. bonked it too hard where it hurt himself, but he, you know, to find his way, he, you know, it, it was sad to paint him after he made his transition. But we had nice little black marks around that wall. We did have one episode where I'm convinced his guardian angels uh, saved him. We opened the gate. We weren't ready to help him down the stairs. And he decided to take off running down the stairs himself. And of course, he got to the first one and then he was midair. And we had like 12 steps down. Then you turned slightly to the left and there was another eight. So it was a pretty big stairway. Yeah. And the angels collected him up. I firmly believe his guardian angel uh, picked him up and laid him down nicely on the lower yeah. yeah, the lower area where he was safe. And because uh, no way he could have jumped uh, 12, 12 stairs uh, mm-hmm. all the way down and landed safely. So uh, we had a nice guardian angel episode there. And then we had a keyword. There's a, there was a keyword. I'm a big proponent of using a positive energy keyword when you're communicating with your animals, when you're trying to teach them a particular lesson. If they do something and use this keyword, they get a reward. Yeah. And uh, for Woody, um, when he would run out the back 
door down the stairways into our big backyard. He would always take off to the furthest part of the yard because uh, the neighbors had a couple of dogs themselves. So he always wanted to check out where the dogs were going. The challenge was there was a retaining wall that stuck that protruded out from the house out into the yard. And so we used the code word, the positive energy word of easy. So whenever he was running, yep, and he was heading straight for that, I'd yell out easy. And he'd immediately stop, and he knew to sort of detour to the right, not the left. And he would miss it every time, and, and we did that for uh, you know almost three years, and uh, not an incident whatsoever. That's amazing, really. And if you think about the, the how connected people are or dogs are to us and the, the cues that they're looking for from us and the emotion that we can convey just by saying easy or even drawing the word out like easy, you know, it's make it sound like what you want it to be like easy. And it's amazing because they're cued right into you and they want those cues and they can get those cues just as good or as fast as dogs that have vision. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I always use, uh, you know, positive words, easy, happy, sweet, nice, love, pretty. Right. There's yeah. brings about positive energy, positive imagery. And, uh, and then as a reward, it was simple. I didn't have to give him a treat or any special attention. I just told him, good job. You know, so we do easy. He'd miss the wall, and I'd tell him, "Good job." Good job. He was happy with that, so he he was pleased with that. But it also happened to have you encountered situations either for yourself or for other clients that you've worked with or people that you've uh, that have read your book. What's the benefit or the con of having a an additional dog in the house? a pal or multiple dogs. Uh, whenever you either have a dog goes blind, if you've got animals, other dogs in the house presently, what are the dynamics behind that that you've seen or have experienced? Or what about bringing in a second dog to assist in the situation? This is the most common question I think I get, Tim, is that, you know, can my dog take cues from another animal or another pet in the house? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that they are looking for cues. They're looking for cues from their humans. They're looking or listening, really, for cues from other animals. And yeah, I think that dogs or cats can act as seeing eye animals for their impaired, you know, pack mate. I think it also depends certainly right on the dynamic of the pack. Some dogs are very in tune with each other. They almost intuitively, one dog may know that the other dog is impaired somehow or needs help somehow. And they will, you know, I have a client whose dog will go out uh, they both go at the same time, and when it's time to go back in, the other dog corrals the blind dog, you know, back into the house. Um, and it's a very wonderful, sweet relationship. I'm always cautious about telling people if you want to introduce another dog into your house. Um, one, I, I'm a big proponent of positive training and positive interactions, and so I always tell people if you have somebody that you can, a, a trainer that works with positive stuff like clicker training or things like that, that maybe integrating that would be helpful for both of those animals. And think about this. It doesn't have to be a dog. It could be a cat. Sometimes dogs and mm-hmm. cats get along too. You know, they can take cues from the from other animals as well. And I think they're looking for it. They want to get cues. And vision, of course, I guess would probably, in my opinion, is probably their third maybe sense, you know, their, their sense of smell, their sense of hearing. And honestly, even just picking up on energy from other animals or people is helpful for these animals as well. So vision really probably ranks third overall for senses. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. You know, and for our situation, you know, we had uh, Buzz and Woody, as I mentioned, from the same litter. Now, now Woody was the he developed the SARDs and went blind overnight. He was the definitely the alpha. He ruled yeah. the roost. Uh, uh, Buzz was like me. He just went along with for the ride. <laughs> he yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but immediately when when Woody went blind, they had had that conversation. He, he had that knowing they were uh, you know stuck like glue. They were extremely bonded together, and instead of him 
them, Buzz being mopey or being concerned or worried or even all of a sudden trying to take on the alpha role, he didn't. He played the uh, big brother routine and he ran block for Woody. So when Woody did take that corner too sharp or was heading toward the retaining wall or trying to go down too many stairs at one time, he would go out in front of him. He would run block. He would let Woody run into him instead of running into the wall or the door or whatever it may be. And uh, so for us, that was already a blessing that was in place, and, and uh, Buzz blessed us even further by uh, helping his brother along and protecting him. I do know from yeah, yeah, it really is. I do know from the flip side, though, that we were going to at the same time bring in not the same time, but, but a couple of years later, we were going to bring in a third schnauzer just as a foster, just to sort of take care of the dog. Sweet, amicable dog, just wonderful. Uh, dog it would have uh, buzz just enjoyed her so much woody did not <laughs> <laughs> that lasted for about 30 minutes and woody made it very clear to me that no <laughs> this isn't happening <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah whether am i side or not no <laughs> so we found her another nice uh, nice place to live and uh, actually she became a, a shop dog a, a gentleman owned a local frame shop and he, she became the local shop dog there so it worked out great for everybody but yeah he made it uh, made it clear and as a dynamic you know that was his personality to begin with but in that situation it doesn't always benefit bringing in another dog to as a buddy or a power protector so like you said you have to you have to have the right amount of training you have to ease into it and you just got to make sure that it's the right and perfect fit for uh, your family and mostly uh, the dogs in your life yeah Yeah, so what were some of the uh, when you put together the book a blind devotion when you you put everything in there, lots of nice tidbits, a lot of uh, items in here that you can do, the halo item to put around the yeah. that the dog could wear, and it works sort of like a bumper guard, but it yeah. looks like a little halo, all these great devices. Did that require a lot of research, a lot of testing? Do you have like four cabinets of stuff now, <laughs> that you, <laughs> and only one yeah. of them used? Uh, how did that oh, work? Yeah. oh, yeah, I keep a whole closet of stuff. You never know what's going to work for one dog and what's going to work for another dog. Yes, I did a fair amount of research with that for our first dog we used a the halo vest for our first dog and it worked wonderfully you know and my dog because he was a pug i was always worried about corneal abrasion so i know he's going to bump into things but his eyes are so large is he going to you know are they going to get scratched and this doesn't completely protect him from corneal abrasion but it did allow him a sensory feedback so when he was wearing the halo if he bumped into something the halo would touch it first that sensation was transferred to his shoulders and he went oh i'm close to something i, I better slow down i don't want to i don't want to bump into something so it allowed him i like to call it whisker extensions you know they're not <laughs> like a sort of a feeling around and getting more confident and protecting his face and protecting his head from those nasty head bumps and i did the same thing with our second blind dog as soon as we got digger our second dog who also had sars we got him a halo for paws we got him right in it and that was great because he was he was a very active guy same thing put that hoop on him the halo it fit nice like a harness it didn't restrict him in his movement it was very comfortable the hoop itself is uh, flexible so it, he didn't come to an abrupt stop if he would you know bump into something which is something i was worried about i didn't want him to get hurt either so the nice flexibility to it so it's a nice gentle sort of hey you're you're kind of close to something don't run into this exactly. so we did a lot of research yeah we did a lot of research with that Great. So what would be the one message that you'd want to get out there uh, when people pick up a copy of uh, A Blind Devotion or have a situation where they have a a blind or a visually impaired dog or animal? I think people and owners already know this, that the ability to connect with your dog is a, a gift that has been given to us. 
we want to sit quietly. We want to sit with our dogs and put our own emotion aside a little bit. We don't want to feel sorry for the dog. We don't want the dog to feel helpless also because our feeling is of helplessness and fear is going to translate to our dogs as helplessness and fears because our dogs are so in tune to our emotional states. So I think if we can change our mindset a little bit about it, make things positive, you're going to be okay. We're going to make things predictable for you. We're going to help you. We're in charge. We're the, you know, we're going to help you and we're going to be the, are your leader, but we're going to be a leader in a positive manner. So we're not going to do anything aversive. We're not going to do any, you know, water squirting or, or, you know, any of those things. We're going to be a, a positive leader for dogs. And with that, I think that if you're able to find somebody who's a, a trainer, a positive dog trainer, they can help you through some of those steps because we can teach our dogs lots of things. Verbal commands, touch cues are great. And we can pair verbal cues with touch cues. So our dogs learn to understand that not only the verbal cue sit is sit, but if you learn to tap them on there, just give them a one finger touch maybe on the butt, that they understand that that means sit as well. So there's many things that we can do and our dogs want to learn. They want to navigate the world and they want to be able to problem solve and they want to please you because they okay. love <laughs> That's it. That's it. You're absolutely right. So good message. Good thoughts on, on that. I, I totally agree with you on, on all of that. And, uh, you know, the, the key thing is whenever your uh, your animal is going through a, a major challenge, we'll call it, uh, especially when we're talking about going blind or, or being visually impaired, life's not over. You know, life should continue on. There's new challenges, new things, and your dog will surprise you about all the things that uh, he and she can still accomplish. So uh, yeah. do the things to protect them and help them along, and you're going to continue to have a great life with them. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and I want to come back, Kathy, and talk to you a little bit about uh, writing and talk a little bit about the other book, Watching Out for Digger. Uh, so, Thank you, Tim. Yeah, so everybody hang tight. We're going to come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Today's episode is sponsored by Hanover Square Press and the secret language of cats. How to understand your cat for a better, happier relationship by Suzanne Schatz. Have you ever wondered what your cat is saying? In The Secret Language of Cats, Shots offers a crash course in cat phonics to help you crack the cat code. Perfect for the fans of The Lion in the Living Room and the Inner Life of Animals, The Secret Language of Cats by Suzanne Schatz is available for purchase today. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our conversation with uh, Kathy Simons. Talk to her about her books, uh, Blind Devotion, uh, Enhancing the Lives of Blind and Visually Impaired Dogs, and uh, the spinoff of that, or the children's book, Watching Out for Digger. Now, Kathy, so we put together the book. Yeah, you write the book, Blind Devotion, full of uh, great insight, personal stories, items and, and tasks and things that you can do to help your uh, blind or visually impaired dog. Then I'm assuming that the Watching Out for Digger book, the children's book, came out after that. Yes, correct. Yeah. So were you just sitting around one day thinking, wow, you know, this would be pretty easy to draw some, uh, you know, get an illustrator, put some cartoon sort of things in there and whip this out? Or uh, was this something more of, I, I need to get the message down to the youth, the youngsters, how they can understand all this? That's exactly how it hit me. I was thinking, my goodness, why am I not teaching children this? <laughs> you know, And at that point, we had adopted our second dog who had come up in rescue. He was a six-year-old pug who was already blind from SARDS. 
And so they were sort of worried about him being unadoptable because he was blind. And so it's loosely based off of this adoption of our third pug, Digger. And I thought, I've got to be teaching children about living with disabled dogs. And I'm hoping, as I'm reading to children, that they're understanding that, that they're not only learning compassion and empathy for animals, but that it translates to how we, we should treat people. You know, so that, that's what it hit me. And I thought Digger is a great example of living life to the fullest because he was a presence for sure. <laughs> there you go. And it, it could be very scary. You know, it's very scary for us adults when we have to uh, experience this and help our animals along. But our children, you know, they have lots of questions and lots of doubts and uh, wondering if their uh, favorite furry friend is going to be uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, growing up with, with animals myself, I thought that was also a, a special gift in thinking how connected I was to everything, nature, things that weren't myself, because I just, I had these animals that I love dearly. And the children are so responsive and so into it. When I sit and read to them, immediately, they want to talk about their dog, their cat, their bird, their goldfish. They want to tell me their stories. They're very into Digger, and it sparks a dialogue with these kids about dogs that have disabilities, and that that these dogs are just like dogs are just like people. Some of them are blind, some of them are deaf, some of them are in wheelchairs, and they all have value. And the kids really respond to that, so it's really exciting to see that. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, and our dogs continue to be great teachers as well because our you know our, our children as well as adults, but children you know they experience this in their own lives. And if they can see a dog can get through it okay, then uh, perhaps they can get through it okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So now let's talk about, let's put our writing hat on for a moment. Have you always been a writer? Have you always wanted to be an author? And if so, did you have the grandiose idea that you'd write a real nice educational uh, sort of book and then turn around and write a children's book? <laughs> <laughs> no, if you had told me that, you know, even 10 years ago, I would have said, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. I would not have thought of that. Uh, my special I mean, I'm a veterinary technician, but my specialty is as a canine rehabilitation practitioner. And so my passion or my efforts and my energy and my love goes into taking care of dogs that have physical impairments and teaching their owners how to have their dogs adapt to those types of physical impairments and then guide them through how we can make those dogs their quality of life better and make their mobility better, make their pain level better. So I focus a lot on rehab and physical impairments rather than sensory impairments. But then again, I, I also came to that conclusion, like we talked about earlier, like, oh, you're missing this whole big piece where you should be an advocate. You're supposed to be an advocate for your patients. And I need to share this with people. And when I share those with people, and then they learn things to do with it, and then they're excited, and then they share with other people. So it's exciting <laughs> to see. Yeah, it's exciting. When Believe is a blind dog community, I mean, there's a whole blind dog community out there. Facebook, Instagram, these people are out there sharing all their stuff in a really nice, good, positive way. Yeah, and I think it's very important to reach out, not only to experience it yourself, you know, uh, read about it, learn talk to your veterinarians, talk to your trainers about the whole thing, but that community, that's that's a very important thing. And and the one thing that always surprises me, whether we're talking about this topic or, or any topic uh, regarding animals, there's always somebody else out there. Yeah. And so many times we catch ourselves thinking, man, I must be going through this alone. And no, you're not. There are others. And, the, and you can learn from them and they can learn from you as well as uh, it's a great healing process as well. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Now, writing the books, how difficult was it? And was one style easier than the other? Was it easier to write the sort of informational, uh, detailed book, or was it uh, easier to write the children's book? Oh, writing the children's book was so much fun. And the illustrator that I have, Anne Zamansky, she just got my she got my vision right away that this was supposed to be a happy, positive story about this dog's adoption. So that was so much fun to do. The Blind Devotion, the writing style was a little bit harder just because I had to research and reference and read papers. And it took quite some time. It probably took me almost three years to get everything down and researched to make sure that I was giving out good good information, current information, updated information, and that people, again, were treating this sort of in a, you know, in a positive way. But the, the children's book was just, it was so much fun. It was so much fun to do. And seeing pictures of Digger as a cartoon was just, oh, I brightened my day. <laughs> just made me laugh. <laughs> That's the key. You know, it's real fascinating that you say that. And I, I, you know, uh, you think that wow, children's books are really easy, but there's not. They, you know, there, there's a lot. You know, when you got a, I don't know a dozen, twenty or so pages, you've got the illustration, you got the story, and you only have a short number of pages to get the message across, as well as make it fun and educational. Right. Yeah. And if you re- when you read the book, watching out for Digger. You'll notice that they're trying to come up with ways to, you know, help Digger be safe and integrate him into his family, but yet they're having they're having fun. They're having fun with him. They're playing with him. He's having a good time. So it's a very positive message. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, with the book, Watching Out for Digger, what's the key message that you're wanting to get across to the children? Again, first of all, these dogs are, are out there. They're blind or they're deaf or they're in wheelchairs. They have value. They're adoptable. And we can integrate them into our families. It does take a little bit more responsibility. It does take a little bit more research. But they're out there and they're adoptable. There you go. And you can have a great, great, great life with them. And they'll, them. they'll love you to death. So that's that's right. definitely so. <laughs> well, Kathy, how can uh, people follow you and also pick up copies of uh, Blind Devotion and Watching Out for Digger? Blind Devotion, Enhancing the Lives of Blind and Visually Impaired Dogs and Watching Out for Digger are on Amazon.com. If you would like to follow us, you can follow Digger on Instagram, Digger the Blind Pug. And if you're looking for articles on living with blind dogs, you can go to my website at blind-devotion.com. I write little articles about living with blind dogs. Probably every month I'll try to write a new article about uh, so resources for these dogs. Very good. Very good. All right. So everybody go out and uh, check out all those sites, get involved, and definitely pick up copies of uh, Blind Devotion, uh, Enhancing the Lives of Blind and Visually Impaired Dogs, and the Fun Children's Book, Watching Out for Digger. Great books, great reads, great messages. Uh, love it. Kathy, thank you so much for uh, for everything, and uh, good luck with everything. We'll uh, talk with you somewhere down the road. Tim, thank you very much. It was a great opportunity. It was wonderful. Thank you again. My pleasure. Well, uh, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our producers and sponsors for making this show possible. And if you have a uh, great idea, uh, or if you've written a blog, a article, or a book, you can definitely drop us a line here at PetLifeRadio.com, and we're glad to uh, entertain, see if we can get you on the show. And if you have people you want to hear from, authors and writers, uh, you can definitely drop us a line there. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, and who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.